everyone else who is uh, joining us online. Thank you for uh, joining us for the opening of our men's conference 2021. It's our first ever men's conference. Um, and uh, under the theme, Slaying Lions, uh, Bears, and Goliath. We are opening it today with our psalms and hymn singing, uh, which is just there to exhort us um, to keep singing praises to God. Uh, this evening, I am going to give a really short sharing uh, under the title, Our Music Shapes Us Because Our Worship Shapes Us. Let's open together in a word of prayer. Great God and Father in heaven, we count ourselves honored to be in your presence, to be with your people, um, to raise our voices to your throne in um, songs, in hymns, in psalms, and in prayers. We pray, O oh God, that you might be honored and glorified uh, in our midst. May we this day come to you with humble hearts, uh, ready to learn and uh, ready to be spoken to through your word. You have said that your word is effective, able to cut through bone and marrow. And what we know from our own salvation story is that you caught us while we were off wandering away, far, far away, and you brought us to your fold again. And this is the promise that we rely on this evening. We pray that you might be with us from start up until the end. I am a feeble vessel and not worthy to be um, in this position, but I pray that you might use me in a mighty way. For I ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as I said, I'm speaking under the theme, our music shapes us because our worship shapes us. And uh, our passage is Psalm 17. Psalm 17, and we will read verses 1 to verse 15 of Psalm 17. The Bible reads, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have twisted me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have poured. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regards to the works of man by the words of my lips, of your lips, sorry, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they live their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. The Psalms are a collection of songs, a collection of songs and poetry to us. It is very interesting to note that among all the religions of the world, there are very few that have entire books 
let alone entire passages, let alone entire books dedicated to song. The Bible contains the largest book in the entire Bible is dedicated to song. The Bible is filled with song after song in different areas of the Bible. Song and music is very relevant to the Christian faith. But music is a peculiar thing, and we should not take this for granted, especially in the time and age in which we live, when music is so prevalent. We have it uh, on our phones. We hear it on the radio. Um, we hear it everywhere. It's in uh, the movies we watch. It is literally everywhere. And so we take music for granted. But music is a very peculiar thing from an evolutionary standpoint. If God doesn't exist, music makes absolutely no sense. It has no survival of the fittest benefit, zero, none. Uh, it's uh, arguable to say that up until 300 years ago, it would be impossible to have so many people making a living out of music. Because it has, it has no, who would pay for it? Who would, who, who would sit around to hear music being sung? It is hard to make a living in music, even now, <laughs> right? Uh, and so it's, it's quite peculiar that music exists. And so it's very interesting that God should use music in his worship. Very interesting and very peculiar. It's peculiar particularly because music is not particularly efficient at communicating a message. Think about it. The way we communicate information, if you wanted to uh, tell your wife that you loved her, um, if you wanted to, to be memorable, you'd tell it to her in a song. But if you wanted her to know how deep you feel, you'd tell her in a poem, which is a little bit longer. But if you wanted her to know the full depths of how you feel, you'd tell her in a letter, in long form, so that she understands the full gravity of what is going on. Music as we sing it is not efficient. If man was the one who designed our religion, music would not be the way it would be communicated because it is not efficient in the least. One would argue that rap music can contain uh, a lot more information because they are not as tied down to rhythm uh, as we are. In the songs that we were singing, it was four lines of six syllables, seven syllables um, uh, bunched up together. Um, but rap contains a little bit more, you know? And so you'd think if there was a way for us to try to communicate a lot of information, it would be through something like uh, rap in our worship uh, because you can communicate more information and it's less tied to rhythmic constraints unlike the music that we have. And so it's quite interesting that God would choose such an inefficient form in the way we worship him. It's pretty ironic. Now, God has spoken to us through his word. And his word is written in long form, as we know it. But still, he has kept us with songs over and over and over. Scripture is filled with song after song after song, showing us that song has a pivotal role in our worship. The first song ever known to man is the song sung by Adam when he beholds Eve in the Garden of Eden. Behold, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. The first poem, the first song. He was expressing his delight. Music was there to express that emotion. The people of Israel as well, when they crossed the Red Sea, away from Pharaoh's um, horses and chariots and forces, Miriam burst into song with the ladies. I will sing unto the Lord, 
for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Right? Really, really good song. But there are others. Joshua and his troops going around the walls of Jericho, singing, playing their musical instruments. They were instructed by God, walk around for seven days. And on the seventh day, bang the drums, shout loud, and I will deliver Jericho over to you. And at this point, I want to bring to you uh, what I was saying earlier. Music, according to man, is not particularly efficient. And yet God, in his infinite wisdom, chooses to use this small method, this inefficient method, to communicate real and valuable truths to us. In fact, you could go as far as to say, what is foolishness? Uh, the, the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Who would have thought God would send his people marching around the city, singing songs of praise and worship to him is the way the place would go down. And yet we find ourselves in a very similar position. Um, we doubt that God can use music in the way that he does. Very few of us have actually thought through why God chooses to use music in his worship. Why do we not just chant? The chanting would get us through a lot more material. Memorization, we are encouraged to memorize scripture, and yet even with all these tools, we are still encouraged to sing praises gloriously. David, the sons of Korah, Asaph, all in the Psalms, great, great uh, uh, musicians, both in song and in, 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 in the written form in poetry. King Jehoshaphat, when facing an army that he could not defeat, he saw no way to defeat it. God says, go out and put the musicians in front. And they went out in the same vein. Now, just in case you think I am saying we should put musicians in front of the military, uh, that's not where I'm going with this, not in the least. The point is that obedience to God should trump everything. Obedience to God supersedes everything. And so if God encourages us to sing, what must we do? We must sing. Because the songs that are put here in the scriptures are there to help us. Our, our music literally shapes us. When we have different moments in our lives, they are associated with certain songs and music and poetry. Certain memories uh, call these things to our attention. Just this morning, uh, I was at a wedding ceremony where the father of the bride had to use a song to explain and express his emotion at the moment. A seasoned preacher choosing to use a song as the way to encapsulate his words and build off of that. And so we should really look at this and, and, and think, why exactly would God use what we might think as an inefficient method to communicate his truth? Last example, before we get back to the psalm and see it there for ourselves. Singing is so important, we are not just supposed to do it on this side of the eternity, we will be doing it on the other side of eternity. The book of Revelation a book of great hope gives us the imagery of us standing before the throne of God, singing praises and worship to his name. I've used a lot of Bible references, so allow me to throw in one contemporary one. Don Moen. Don Moen in his song, Our Father, has produced one of my favorite lines in song. And though we are few, 
we are surrounded by many who have crossed the river before. And this is the song we'll be singing forever. Holy is the Lord. And so it is such a shame that we have such a disdain or a dislike for singing praises and worship to our God. The one thing we know we will be doing in eternity is singing, and yet we have very little patience for it now. And yet if we look at the contemporary music as we see it right now, it shapes so much of our understanding. And yet it's so shallow. There's very little in there. Music is used to define the times that we are in, culture. If you think of, of, of the songs, and a, a number of songs, right, think of any song right now, most likely it's telling you about some sort of event, it's telling you about a feeling or emotion, helping you to understand the here and now. However, I hope even as you're thinking of specific songs right now, you are realizing that they rarely portray the world as it really is. It's a fictitious world. It's a naive world. In music, the wife is always spotless, always. We love her because she is the embodiment of everything. So shallow, so naive. You could argue Songs of Solomon is saying that, but it's not. We can have that discussion another time. Music of the world makes it seem as though entertainment, drugs, sex, all sorts of things are worthy, when in actual fact they are not. Music in the sense that the world uses it, does not portray reality as God sees it. What you get is the moralism of Bob Dylan and Kenny Rogers with their country music, or the catchy tunes of Michael Jackson regaling you with tales of how you are bad, or how the girl is yours, and how you are the world. Or modern themes of money or entertainment. But God gave us music to shape us. In the moments when we're going through tough things, in the moments where we're going through good things, the thoughts that tend to come to our minds easiest in that moment are the verses we've memorized and the songs we have sung. And this is why God gave us an entire book of hymns and songs. These are the songs that are helping us to understand how life really is, what reality is as God sees it. Not this sugar-coated karma sort of thing, everything will be all right. No, it is real. It is very real. And I want us to see this in this particular song. What is trying to be communicated here is the value of song in shaping reality as we see it. Pointing us not just to what is going on on the ground in a very real sense, in a very graphic sense, but pointing us back to the Savior. So with that, notice with me, Psalm 17. David begins, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer. From lips free of deceit, from your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. This here is no sugar-coated how I want the world to be. This is real pain and real agony. David is crying out to God, Hear my cry. Give ear to the prayer of my lips. Verse 3, you have tried my heart, you have visited me by night, you have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regards to the works of man, by the word of your lips I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths, my feet have not slipped. 
David, in this case, is not making a case that he is perfect. Far from it. What David is trying to communicate to God in this song, in this prayer, is that he looks around and the wicked seem to be doing fairly well. And yet he himself is struggling with all sorts of things. And so he's saying, no, God, it isn't because of sin in me. It's not because of the direct sins that I have committed. This is before Bathsheba, by the way. This is David living a life of, of uprightness. He's saying, what's going on with my life? The, the, the lack of success that I'm seeing in certain areas is not because of a particular sin in me. Look at the honesty once again, verse 3. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress with regard to the works of man. By the words of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. This is the man who works in the bureaucratic world where everyone is corrupt. Everyone is taking something. And he's the only one. He is standing upright. This is the prayer of the man who looks around and everyone is cutting corners. People are showing up late and knocking off early. And he looks like the fool because he is the one who is doing right. And so he's praying to God. He's singing this to God. Hear my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. He's honest. To, I, am not, I am not lying in my prayer to you. This is what he's holding on to. Verse 6. I will call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. David is not um, holding God in the same way that um, some churches seem to make it, where you, you hold God and, uh, and, and you will answer me, God. You will answer me. Nope. No, that's not his, that's, that's not his, 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 his tone. In this, he is holding on to the promises that God has given. I will call upon you. Why? For you will answer me. The prayer is not wasted. The song is not wasted. Even though men look at it and it seems inefficient, your workmates, your friends, your family, everyone mocks and ridicules because instead of uh, jumping the line and cutting corners, no, you are praying to God. And in that moment when the entire world is mocking you for the stance that you choose to take, what is the one thing that keeps you praying? Because you know that God hears and God answers prayer. This is hardly the thing that comes when you are only soaking yourself in secular music. All you've got in your head is, 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 is messages of love and love and women and love and entertainment and love and money, right? If you are soaked in these songs that are there, that God has placed, where we can memorize, we can sing along with them, we know that God will hear us. Verse 7 again, Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Verse 8, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths, they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. Tell me, does this sound naive? 
Does this sound like the guy who's just saying everything is going to be all right? Is that the message of the scripture, brothers? Far from it. This is a man who knows the situation. He's not blinded by the situation ahead of him. He knows that I am moments away from being crushed, from being teared to bits, torn to bits. He even describes the enemy in front of him, verse 12. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. There's no naivety here. There's no pretense that things are just going to be all right because things are going to be all right because things are going to be all right. No, David is leaning on God and God alone. Verse 13 shows even more honesty with God. Reality as God sees it. Real truth. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. At times we like to think that uh, the people of the world, are, uh, we, we, we like to believe in karma. That because the corrupt are corrupt, they will end up in a jail cell someday. Um, that's our hope, you know. It's okay. It will catch up with them, you know. Uh, and it will. But sometimes it's not always on this side of eternity. Sometimes it's not always the case. And David realizes this. Notice with me verse 14. From men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. Does this sound like a man who is naive about the situation in front of him? No, it's not. He's looking at the reality that's on the ground, and he's saying they seem to be prospering. It looks like they are getting it. They are satisfied with children. You fill their womb with treasure, and they leave their abundance to their infants. The final verse is what makes the Psalms relevant. The final verse shows why hymn singing is everything. This is why we should fill our hearts with these good songs, songs that will shape the world that we look at, give us the, the proper worldview with which when we see the world, we are understanding what is really going on, not what the world is telling us is going on. Not that Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world or now Elon Musk or whoever it is. Not that these people are in happy marriages or whatever, no. Because even though that's going on, what is our hope? What are we holding on to? Verse 15, as for me, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. I'll read that one more time. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. David here is saying, though everything else may be taken away, though it seems that the enemies who wish to do violence against me are prospering, are happy, are satisfied with their children, have their womb filled with treasure, and are able to leave their abundance to their infants. I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. I'd like to encourage you that it is the words of verse 15 that create an infinite loop in Psalm 17. The only way 
David is able to begin the psalm by saying, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry, give ear to my prayer from, my, from lips free of deceit. Find your presence, let my vindication come, let your eyes behold the right, is because he beholds the Lord's face in righteousness and is satisfied in his likeness. Music, just like when we hit repeat, creates an infinite loop that refreshes and revives us. It allows us to see the world for what it really is. And our encouragement is to behold the Lord's face in righteousness. We cannot go to God and say, God, you see, I am blameless in this situation if our hands are filthy with sin. If we are behaving exactly the way the world behaves, we can't have this prayer. But one of the ways in which we go to God in repentance and faith is when we behold his face, when we view his righteousness and are satisfied in his likeness. Then we are able to realize how wretched, vile, and sinful I am, and we go to God in repentance and faith. And we say, God, only you can satisfy. What we see in Psalm 17 is the use of music. What music was always meant to be by God. Joy, pain, struggle, encouragement, laughter, praise, worship in one chapter of the Bible, in one song. Everything is there. This is a man who has moved from the deep pain, knowing the real struggle that's ahead of him, and yet he still delights in the Lord. When the time comes and you are going through tough times, what reservoirs do you have? within your soul, within your heart? Is it the secular music of the world that offers nothing? Or is it even the shallow Christian music that says very little? Oh Lord, you are good. Oh Lord, you are good. Oh Lord, you are good. You are good to me. Oh Lord, you are right? <laughs> is, is, is that what we're seeing in the psalm? Is, is, is David running away from the reality that's in front of him? He is not. He is not. One of my biggest problems uh, and I have very few, but one of my biggest problems with, uh, with hymns, uh, especially those written on the Psalms, is that they tend to be very uh, PG-13. They hide, a lot of them hide away from, from the, the, the graphic nature of the Psalms. The graphic nature in that sometimes David is very, very serious with what he's trying to say. Just look, look at the language that he uses for the enemies in front of him. Verse 8, verse 9, from the wicked who do me violence. Right? In your mind, when you're hearing do me violence, don't, don't think a bully who wants to beat you. Right? Um, think, think David's time, and the guys who are against you have swords, they have clubs, they have spears, and those things are sharp. Those things are not meant to injure, those things are meant to kill. This isn't just that, you know, your boss doesn't like you. This is that people want to take you out. They want you out of the place because what you are standing for is what is right and true. This is real enemies. Not the enemies that we get because of our lukewarm Christianity. This is the real stuff. When we stand for God, sometimes that's our fear. If we stand for, God, for what God has said, will we be able to bear the pressure? 
And the Psalms give us this understanding that we should behold the Lord's face in righteousness and awake. When we awake, we should be satisfied with his likeness. And so I end by saying, we need to dip into the reservoirs that God has given us. Because according to the world, music is inefficient. It's not the way to communicate these truths. It's not. It simply isn't. Music is just about feelings and shallow feelings at that. But what we are taught from the scriptures is that music, as it has been given to us, is extremely vital. These are the things, these are the reservoirs from which we dig. When the time comes and we are facing struggles in the world, trying to figure out which direction we should take, when everybody else is choosing to go the wrong way, we'll be the ones saying we should stand up, stand up for Jesus, right? The strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle, right? Right? He, he, those, those, those are the messages that come to us when we are saturated with the right songs of worship. Instead, we might end up with having very little shallow theology, nothing to hold us down when things go wrong. And the best thing about the Psalms is they are written in ways that are very easy to memorize because they are songs. Because they are songs. God chooses to use what the world would consider foolish and inefficient and only for froth and shallowness and he uses it to give us rich truths that we can hold on to. It is my hope and prayer that we might take seriously our singing and realize what God is trying to communicate to us in these moments. Let's say I have a quick word of prayer. Oh God in heaven, we pray that you might continue to speak to us through the words of these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that we might really understand the meditations that you are bringing to us. As you have said in another one of the psalms, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O oh God. This is our desire. We long to be honest to, with you in our prayers, much like David, not naive and pretending everything is going to be all right without actually bringing ourselves before you and telling you what's really going on. And so, God, as we wrap up our day of hymns and singing and this men's conference, be with us. May you be honored and glorified. For we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.